0: Open Mind the podcast is brought to you in association with very.co.uk. Whether you're looking for stylish athleisure or performance sportswear, there is a range to suit all your fitness needs. Shop the biggest sportswear brands at very.co.uk. Hi, guys, and welcome to my podcast, Open Mind. So today I'm very happy to have Andrea McLean here today, which is a nice change for me to be on the other side because obviously you present Loose Women and you're normally the one asking me all the questions. I know, this is so nice. <laughs> I just get to sit here. I know, so it's been really... I'm kind of nervous. Oh, don't um, be, honestly.
1: Ask me anything, <laughs> it's all fine. I'm just like happy to have someone to else drive the bus.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're used to kind of having to be open and say a lot of personal things because that's basically what you do on like a daily basis, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and and when I first started doing it, it was hard because, you know, we're not used to doing that in our normal everyday lives. You know, we have a job. You know, when you get interviewed, you have a job and you like to talk about the job that you're doing. But on Loose Women, we're talking about our personal feelings and, you know, whether it's our physical health, our mental health, anything like that. But after 12 years, I'm so used to it. Honestly, ask me ask me anything. Was <laughs> you not nervous at
0: first what people... Because obviously, anything you say, we all know, everyone's got an opinion. Yeah. Did that make you nervous at the beginning?
1: Yeah, and it makes every new Loose Woman really nervous because... Everything you say will be misconstrued. The the Twitterati will take four words out of context and get themselves into a screaming lather about something that isn't even correct. And they won't bother checking. They'll just all jump on the bandwagon. And the press will then say, Twitter is in an outrage. You get so used to it. It's literally fuss and bother over nothing and you have to learn to let go. So in terms of that, I've kind of got used to it. The hardest bit is obviously you're saying things you don't want your parents to find out or, you know, your friends, you don't want to dub them in by mistake. So the amount of times that we have to go, and a friend of a friend of mine to try and change it so that yes. no one knows we're talking about them or anything like that yeah
0: i feel like i'd like not have that many stories because i'd be so worried of taking anyone down and then being like yeah. oh is anyone going to figure out who i'm talking about oh we
1: change everything we you know if it's male we change it to female oh, really? you know all sorts just to try and throw people off the scent you know and then afterwards we'll sit in the meeting going do you think they knew it was actually <laughs> xyz that we were, we were talking about and we do it to protect them you know it's yeah. not just to protect ourselves it's Tech them.
0: Mm. Um, and you wrote your book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Confessions of a Menopausal Woman. Yeah. What made you? What inspired you to do that? Well, the reason
1: for the title, what inspired the title, was it, it's actually my second book. My first book was called Confessions of a Good Girl. Right. And it was all about my early life. I grew up in the Caribbean.
0: Yes, that's and... something because we're now. Our husbands are quite good friends yeah, yeah. since you did SAS um, with, Wayne. with yeah. Wayne. So we've been for dinner and that was probably my biggest revelation with you is that you grew up. In Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah, Yeah. and you can switch on the accent. I promised our producer that you would do the accent for him. Just say something. I I can do the accent for you, no problem at all. (laughs) (laughs) It amazed me at dinner. I was like, no way. So
1: so that book was all about that and how I got into television and sort of the first 10 years, I suppose, Mm. of of telly life. Because I've been in telly for 23 years now. Um, So how the second book came about, which was Confessions of a Menopausal Woman, and I called it that because I thought, well, it's kind of me just a bit older, (laughs) you know, so I'm not a good girl anymore. I'm still a good girl. I'll always be a good girl if my parents are listening. (laughs) Uh, But I'm now a menopausal woman. But also it was because it came about because I had to have a hysterectomy Mm. and it was a full hysterectomy, which lots of people don't know that all hysterectomy is not created equal, Um, (laughs) which basically... If you have a full hysterectomy, your ovaries are removed, so you go into full surgical menopause instantly. So, and what's the
0: other one then, where they just take your womb? Um, that's that, That's a hysterectomy, but
1: because they leave your ovaries, you will still have a source of hormones. Okay. Whereas they take out your hormonal source, so it means that literally overnight you go like this. You literally shrivel up and. <laughs> die
0: I, I mean, I don't think, yeah, but. <laughs> Sounds really positive. Anyone yeah. that's going through
1: it. <laughs> well, that was why I wanted to write a book about it, because I mentioned it just in passing on Loose Women, because yeah. I had to explain, obviously, that I was going to be off air for a little while. And within 24 hours, 10,000 women got in touch it was unprecedented and so I just thought gosh this is something that I was never going to talk about because I just thought it's kind of yucky and it's nobody else's business, it's really personal but because of the job I do I need to mention that I'm not going to be off and I'm not going to lie and say I'm going on holiday, I'm off for this reason and I realised because so many women got in touch that actually I was looking at it all wrong there's so many women out there who needed help and advice and support and encouragement and if if someone like me who is on such an amazing platform doesn't talk about it, then what chance do they have of getting the information that they need? So I wrote a book and I got a menopause doctor to help me. So she does all the uh, the proper medical stuff and mm-hmm. I talk about it from a, a first person female perspective just so that you get the, the real stuff. I mean, I'm really, really honest in it. Mm-hmm. in terms of what it feels like and what the experience is like. And then we look into what you can do to make yourself feel better if you're going to go through the same thing. And it just went mad. It became a bestseller. It's done hugely, hugely well. And it then spawned the website that I run because basically I have sort of finished writing it and thought... I don't want this to stop. I've Mm. started this whole conversation with women all about making them feel better about themselves. So Nick and I started this website called thisgirlisonfire.co.uk and it's basically, it's like a portal where all these incredible women come, share their stories of encouragement, support, their journeys that they've been through, all walks of life, all mm-hmm. kinds of, or all different age groups and it's different ways to make women feel empowered, make them feel better about themselves. Because mm. that's what I've always tried to do throughout my whole life. I'm a nice lady and I like
0: <laughs> to make people feel good and now I just do it online. Is that because when you were younger, did you ever suffer with unkind people? Yes. Were you yes. ever bullied as a child? Or Hugely. Oh, yeah. really? And was that in Trin- Trinidad and Tobago or Here. Here. Because right. when I moved back, I was
1: 15 and I was a white girl who had a black girl's voice, <laughs> which was unusual at the time <laughs> and people couldn't get their head around it at all. I had come from living in a... Really a lovely but third world environment where my mum made my clothes. There weren't really very many shops. We had no idea about labels and having to have, you know, the best trainers or anything. We just had what everybody else had. And we came over here and I just didn't fit in at all. I was so naive and chirpy and upbeat (laughs) and very positive thinking and all this sort of thing. And within weeks, it was... Not literally beaten out of me because I wasn't necessarily hit, mm. but it was mentally beaten out of me and I got horribly, horribly bullied. And how it started was not even necessarily through how I spoke or behaved or anything like that, but they didn't like that because I was different and yeah. to everybody else. But how it actually started was the, the group of girls who, who did it were really horribly picking on another girl and it was during PE, it was in the changing rooms afterwards and they were spraying her with deodorant and saying that she stank and and she was cowering and it was horrible and everyone else was just kind of ignoring it and letting them get on with it. Now I know why, it's because they knew what these girls were like and clearly they were like, don't look them in the eye, just, you know, let them crack on. I was new and just thought, no, this is terrible. And I walked over and went, What are you doing? Leave her alone. She's never going to fight back. Just leave her alone. And I sort of stood in the middle of it all. So they did leave her alone and then they went on me. <laughs> <you. Yeah. laughs> and I had that for two solid years of school. And it was, it was horrific. It was truly awful. I never told my parents. Because really? Why not? Because I knew they'd come marching down to the school and I thought that would make it worse. So I tried to deal with it myself. It's one of these weird things. Teachers didn't really do anything. They knew what was happening. I had one teacher who tried his best just to be kind and step in, but they wouldn't listen and they were, they were quite feral. It was normal comprehensive, mm-hmm. you know, that I, that, I, that I went to. I booked an appointment with a headmaster... I had a meeting on my own with a headmaster and I went in and I, by then I was 16 and I said, something needs to be done because it's not just me, it's other kids that they're doing it to. And I don't know who to ask for help and I don't know what to do. And he said, are you telling me that there's a bullying problem in the school? I was like, yes, you are. And he wouldn't have it. Really? His, His school did not have a bullying problem and he pretty much called me a young upstart and told me to get out. So... It was very different. It was I back was so in the shocked, 80s. I was
0: though, like if a 16-year-old had taken it upon this, I was to book an appointment and say, this is what's happening, that he could mm. just dismiss that.
1: Totally. It was a very different world then. I think now, obviously, there are procedures in place and mm. there are people you can go and see, but it wasn't like that then. And I think that you were expected just to kind of get on with it, which I did to the mm. best well, of my ability. You sound like you were actually
0: quite strong, really, considering...
1: I suppose I was, but what, you just learned to kind of duck and dive, like you never went to the toilets at school because that's where they were, or you found the ones that they, they were in and you went to different <laughs> ones. Staggered my time walking home so that I wasn't walking home at the same time as everyone else. Did you have any back.
0: friends that you...
1: I did, but the incredible thing about friends when you're being bullied is they kind of dissolve away when bullies come towards you, mm. then once that moment is over and you've been shoved a bit and, it, you know, and called names, and then the bullies have gone, they kind of regroup again and appear as if nothing's happened, and that's what used to happen. They go, mm. gosh, aren't they horrible? But they never did anything. Nobody ever, nobody ever wanted to put themselves in the firing line like I have like done. Like you did. For the other, for the other <laughs> because they saw what
0: happened to you, that's why.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And do but- you feel like that had a knock-on effect on you mentally or...?
1: What I would say is that it has, I've always been the same. I would do it again, and I have done it since, mm. and it's left me with a huge sense of right and wrong. I, I won't stand for it. Again, like, this the website. I want to help as many people as I can. I saw some, again, they were teenage boys picking on someone in a wheelchair. And without even thinking, I just walked over and went right into the middle of them all and told them all off. I was like, what the hell do you think you're doing? What do you think your mum would do if they saw you behaving like this? It was the, the person in the wheelchair literally went, oh, oh, and left left me <laughs> left me to it. And I was in the middle of all these teenage boys kind of squaring up to me. And I just kind of took the mum stance of this is wrong and you should be really ashamed of yourself. And I would do it again because it's just wrong. There, there's no other way around it. You, we should be kind to each other and help each other and there's no... No place on earth for that kind of behaviour, I don't think.
0: And have you been like that with your kids, because you've now how many kids have got, got 2 I've,
1: well I've got two my two are in the next few weeks will be eighteen and thirteen and I've got two stepdaughters who are seventeen and fourteen. So but do you know what's really fascinating? Is I will literally I'm like a one woman knight in shining armor for everybody else. But the problem is when it happens to me, I am rubbish. Mm. Completely rubbish. Do you know what I mean? I can yep. stand up for other... If uh, someone did something for you, I'd leap across the table and mm. I'd have them by the throat. <laughs> but If someone did something for me, I'd probably just curl up. Why do you think that is? I've got no idea. It's something I'm really working on, that to sort of appreciate that actually I'm worth sticking up for. It's not just that other people are worth sticking up for, mm. if,
0: if that makes sense. And you struggled when you had... Was it your first...?
1: It was my second.
0: Funnily enough, I think it
1: was a... A mixture of lots of different things. Mm-hmm. So although technically I had postnatal depression after I had Amy, with the sort of benefit of hindsight now I can see what it was, was I went into a a very, very dark place because of hormones. I do think that hormones played a, a very big part in it. But actually there were so many other things at, at play and it just all it was like a perfect storm. It all happened at that time. My my previous marriage had ended and I'd never fully dealt with that. Mm. And it was that was really quite dramatic. I had very quickly got into a new relationship and very quickly got pregnant. I then moved away from where I had lived for a really long time and all my support network. So I didn't have my normal GP. I had no friends. I'd moved to a different place. and And then I also started a brand new job whilst also doing, because I did breakfast television Mm -hmm. and started at Loose Women as well when Amy was 12 weeks old. So I think there was exhaustion, Mm. there was no support network and then there was also coming to terms with how my life was now, which was I wasn't living where I used to live and everything was totally different and I felt lost, felt very lost Mm -hmm. and so I hid it for about two years. Until I finally got help. Yeah.
0: Such a long time.
1: It is, but that's what I'm like. I still do it now. I've accepted now that it's not since that time I eventually got better. I I went and I had got doctor's advice and I was on, I put on antidepressants. But
0: what made you get help? What was that if you'd been hiding it for two years?
1: When it got to a point where I felt they'd be better off without me Mm. and meant it. And I just thought, and I tentatively brought it up and mentioned it to my husband at the time. And his reaction was he got angry rather than really don't be so ridiculous. Oh, mm, for goodness yeah. sake, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, right, you don't talk about that again. And so I never mentioned it again. And I very, I'd kind of mentioned, I think I might need to go and get help. Mm. And he was very against medication. That's a sign of weakness. You just need to pull yourself together. So that's so why, probably
0: why you kept it a secret for two years. And that's
1: why I'm not with him anyway.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: and uh, I quietly went away and got medication and it was incredible and it really, really helped me. It was like a a switch went back on in my brain and I started to feel stronger again. And I'm really glad that I did go on them. And I was on them for three years. Mm-hmm. And then wean myself slowly off. What I realised though is actually those tendencies were always there. That was my first big episode of it, but I have had recurring episodes since then. Mm. And the the difference is now I still keep it to myself. I'm I don't necessarily talk about it. I'll talk about it afterwards. But now I'm in a much lovelier relationship where I can actually say I'm really struggling at the moment and I'm feeling quite lost.
0: Why do you think you find it so hard to be honest about it and say it at the time? It's it's how I
1: was brought up I mm. think. I come from a very traditional family with you know a very loving and, and, and lovely family but you don't necessarily talk about this, these sort of things. And also I'm the eldest, this eldest of two, so I've always been brave and strong and, you know, a good girl and that's it, make everyone proud and mm. colour in the lines <laughs> and don't upset anybody and don't embarrass anybody and don't embarrass us and don't embarrass yourself. And and I think talking about something like that was just... It was not spoken. About. And, and actually it's still not spoken about. But uh, now I feel within my house i can and it's made a huge difference because he understands and mm. he'll you know he'll say to me go to bed go and go to bed and get some sleep and try and see if it's just exhaustion that's brought it on if you've overexerted yourself my my worst thing is um overwhelming anxiety which sounds ridiculous. I host a live TV show and I love it. And randomly, I never get it. Then. Oh really? I'm fine then. When I'm at my when I'm at work, I know exactly what I'm doing. I feel in control. Literally, the minute the you know the applause starts, it's like a pilot light goes on inside. I can, I can conquer the world. I can do anything. And then as soon as that's gone, it's like all the clouds start to come back in again, and I feel, I can, oh, I can feel. I don't know, now at the moment. I feel great. I feel so worthless and so scared,
0: mm.
1: you know, to the point that, you know, we live quite near each other. Mm. And, you know, our local waitress. Yep. I remember I, w- I went through a really bad time earlier this year and burst into tears in the car park because a man beeped because we were taking too long to park. I went into complete meltdown in the in the car park and couldn't get out of the the car because I couldn't believe how mean he was being. It was nothing; he just beeped the horn on his on his car, it, and it sounds so pathetic. I mean, honestly, if you're listening at home, thinking this woman seriously needs to pull herself together, I
0: I understand.
1: You <laughs> no, know, how I think a lot of people sounds.
0: have been there. If you're already feeling like that, the pressure of like someone. Being a bit mean or rushing you when you're already feeling like everything's too much anyway, and yes. then it's like that embarrassment that you've made someone wait and uh, so many things yeah. at once that can you can think in that split second. Yeah. I
1: can't do this. Yeah. And I've forgotten how to drive. That's how rubbish I am. Do. I can't even drive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I still have moments like that. You know, it's and the smallest little thing can trigger it off. But Nick is brilliant and I can say to him, I'm feeling weird, and I feel like it's coming back. Mm. And he's really gentle with me. And I think for me, now knowing that I'm allowed to say it actually lets it out, Mm. rather than holding it in. Do you know, does that make sense? Because when you hold it in, hold it in, hold it in. And I can hold, you know, I've, I've often said I should work for a Pepsi or Coca-Cola because I'm the best bottle of the room you know (laughs) I can hold so much in for so long and then it literally pops out the top of my head I can't hold any more in but I'm getting a lot
0: a lot better yeah do you feel like you hold less and less in now you're getting a little bit better at opening up yeah sooner or and I've started counselling as well I've never
1: had counselling before after
0: Um, you've been through quite a lot so yeah so two previous marriages the menopause yeah hysterectomy and do you feel the benefit of talking to someone who's like completely unemotionally attached to you because I always think yeah it's nice to have your friends and your family or your husband or whatever that you know love you and you can tell them stuff but I feel like there is something else about having someone who has no attachment to you who can just yeah say it how it's
1: easier yeah, because, I mean, I've probably told more to taxi drivers than I have to some of my, some of my friends. But they love you. I don't, I don't know what it is. How are you? And I'm like, well. <laughs> Seeing as you've asked, mm. actually, I'm like this today. And they're like, all right, driving faster just to get me there. But yeah, it is. And I think for me, I've always, maybe it's an eldest child thing. I don't know. But I've always borne the burden of responsibility very seriously because I I don't want to I don't want to put upon anyone, you know, I don't want to lean on anyone because I just think, oh, everyone's got their own troubles, you know, I won't bother them with mine. That's just how I am. Mm. And now I know that there's someone there that that's her job and she she wants me to because mm-hmm. she's got this toolbox there that she can hand me the mental equivalent of a hammer and a screwdriver and go, this is what you need to work this bit out. And it's been really good, really good. I feel so much better. I've been going for a few months now and I feel so much better.
0: Do you ever feel like you go in there, sometimes I would go in and I think, I haven't really got much to say today. I feel like today might be a bit pointless. And then I go in and I'm like, <laughs> and all this stuff comes out and I'm crying. And I come out afterwards and I'm like, oh, I thought everything was all right. <laughs> Obviously not. Or like I'll go in other times and I'll have been thinking something for months and months and months yeah. inside my head. And I, it has been, you know, making me really upset and really down. And then I say it out loud and then I instantly realise how silly it is. It's so weird.
1: Which is why it's so great to go. Yeah. Because, you know, I have, I don't know about you, but I have on-the-loop conversations with Mm -hmm. myself, and then, and then they'll say that, and then I'll say that, and then, oh, my God, that's so awful. And you realise, again, once you say it
0: out loud and... Mm -hmm. How stupid! You've completely catastrophized the whole. Totally. They love the word. Cat-
1: yeah, Also, with I read a lot of self-help books, mm. and I always have done, and I, I find them really useful. And I, I enjoy learning, so I, I read a lot of books about whether it's you know anxiety or being a hypersensitive. Person, which I realized I am and people think hypersensitive means that you can't take a joke it doesn't mean that at all it Mm -hmm. means that you're so finely tuned into the emotions of others and the needs of others that actually you end up almost becoming a chameleon and making sure that they're okay and forgetting what what everyone else needs yeah and that's how I am and that's how I've always been and it's it's realizing that actually no I don't need to not doing that doesn't make you a bad person. It's okay. Mm. And one of the things that I've learned is to ask yourself, is this actually true or are you just gossiping with yourself? Is your brain just gossiping? And so sometimes when I'm in the shower, you know, and you're washing your hair and, yeah, and then she'd say that, oh, my God. And then I have to remind myself, your brain is literally gossiping. Mm-hmm. This hasn't actually happened. You're, you're taking one thing, which, yeah, was awful and wasn't great, but now you're gossiping with yourself. Pack it in. That's mm-hmm. not real, and your brain kind of goes, "All right then," and, and, and stops. And it <laughs> really worked.
0: Yeah, all right, I'll shut up. Stop <laughs> being a gossip. Open Mind, the podcast, is sponsored by Very.co.uk. I can't believe I'm already thinking about Christmas for the kids. And did you know that very.co.uk have all the biggest brands everyone is talking about, such as Lego, VTech, and Toy Story 4? Just go to very.co.uk and search Christmas. Open Mind the Podcast is sponsored by very.co.uk. Open Mind the Podcast is sponsored by very.co.uk. When you're having these really anxious moments, how does that manifest itself for you? I feel like everyone's is different.
1: For me, it's a physical thing as well as a mental thing. I can physically feel it in my body. It sounds very weird, but it almost starts in my arms. I really? can feel it in my hands and it moves up my arms. And like then, a
0: tension or like a tingling? Almost
1: like a... It's almost like my blood's got thicker. And I can feel it working its way. You know like when you have an injection and you can mm. feel it being pumped into your body? I can feel it starting to work its way up through. I've always had panic attack since my, I had my first one in my early 20s. And it, it actually started because someone shoved me on a the escalators on the tube and I nearly went flying and fell down, which is extremely dangerous. Mm. And I kind of stumbled and it was near the bottom. And I went, hey, what do you think you're doing? And he turned around and gave me the biggest most aggressive mouthful he was he swore at me he was it was awful and he literally shoved me out the way and it was so frightening but why I had a panic attack was I kind of carried on and went stood on the tube platform and I realized suddenly how alone I was in this massive group of people in the middle of rush hour London nobody had helped and no one had said hang on mate actually you've really hurt her and you've been a bit of an idiot here, are you all right? Nobody made eye contact, nobody stepped in and I realised actually something terrible could happen to me now and no one would care. They would literally step over my body Mm. and I had my first panic attack on the Victoria Line tube station and I had to literally fight my way out and end up out in the street and get air. I didn't know it was a panic attack, I didn't Mm. know what was happening and how it felt then, it's slightly less now in terms of the physicality of it, is it felt like uh, I had hypnotherapy for it, and uh, which cle- clearly helped a bit, but it's <laughs> come back again. It feels like a, a literally a wave washing over me, but it's a wave of thick black tar. And I know that as it rises and rises, once it gets to my face, what's amazing is I can talk about it now mm. and not have one. I used to be able to not even be able to oh, describe really? it and I would... Have one in front of you. Once it got to my face, it would pour into my mouth, pour up my nose, go into my eyes, into my ears, and I would drown. Hmm. That's how it felt. It f- was horrible. And I can remember having the, the hypnotherapy, and I started having one in the chair. And he said, don't fight it. Let it Let it happen. And I was saying, I was thinking, my—he's a horrible hypnotherapist. How can he let me make this happen? And he said, "What are you feeling?" And I described it, and I described it, and I said, "And it's coming. It's getting higher, and I'm—I'm going to drown. I'm going to die." And he said, "You're not. I'm watching you. You're sitting in a chair in front of me. Nothing's happening. Tell me what you're feeling." And I, by then, my heart's pounding, and I couldn't breathe, and I couldn't breathe, and then it went. And then we talked about it afterwards mm. and, and he said, you need to realise you've created this in your own head. I was watching you, there was no wave, you weren't drowning and you need to remind yourself of that. Next time you feel these feelings, you're doing it in your own head. So now, yes, I feel in the in the the physicality, that, mm. that side of it, that's what I feel. But emotionally, it's an overwhelming feeling of dread that something awful is going to happen imminently. And I suppose... Biologically, it's that fight or flight thing that we were all born with, you know, millions of years ago when we, you know, were first created or made or whatever you believe or evolved. But there's no tiger in the room. But to me, it feels like there is a tiger in the room Mm. and I need to fight or flight. It's that. And it's that scary. That's what it feels like. Even if you're sitting in a waitress car park crying because someone's beat yeah. at you, it's that big I deal. I do think
0: once you let yourself give in to them, they do become easier. I think because you get the fear. I always used to say you, you panic that you're having a panic attack. So you're trying so hard to fight it. Yeah. And actually after a while, I learned to just let it happen. And I found if I rode it out, yeah. it was a lot shorter. And so how do worse. you ride
1: it out? What do you do? Just
0: let it all out. I just, if I can't breathe, I don't panic about the fact that I can't breathe or if I'm crying, I just let myself cry. Mm. And I kind of remind myself that it's going to end because I think at the time you're like, this is it, this is it, it's taken over, I can't catch my breath, I can't breathe. This is going to be the one that kills me. All the others haven't, but this one will. It can feel like that, can't it? And I Mm. think once you have had so many, I think you start to realise that I do, but you're exhausted afterwards. Like I can After I've had a proper panic attack, I'm like, I need to go get in bed now and it's so weird. It just exhausts you. Yeah. And what do you find your triggers are now? Are they the same as they used to be or...?
1: It's exhaustion most of the time and it means I haven't been looking after myself Mm. because I I like being busy. I like doing lots of different things but the first thing to go is always sleep. When I know things are starting to unravel a little bit, is when I'm lying there and two hours have gone by and I'm still not asleep. Hmm. And then I'll either fall asleep and I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and I'm wide awake and I'm now watching the clock thinking I've got to get up half past 5. I've got work today and it's 4 o'clock and I'm thinking, oh, now I've only got an hour, mm, you know, and all this worst. sort of stuff. <laughs> and I start to unravel that way. So I get really, really tired. And then that means I think you're just hypersensitive to anything can can set you off. So for me... It's normally some kind of confrontation i'm not I'm not good with confrontation as witnessed on s a s and I think it's because it comes from a place of fear that is it real or imaginary, and nine times out of ten, what I've experienced is uncomfortable and maybe not very pleasant, but it's not as big as you've told uh, yourself as I've is. told myself that it is yeah.
0: And how have you found it with your kids? Have you always been aware of their mental health and
1: yeah, I keep worried, worried about them? what's interesting is they have no idea about mine. Oh, um, really? None. <laughs> no, because I'm mum. Mm. They don't need to know. They might listen to this in years to come, but no, they have no idea. They know that sometimes mum gets tired and has to go to bed or mum's not feeling very well, but they don't know. But they also don't know that I keep a keen eye on how they are i am very finely tuned i can i can pick up on people's moods and whether they're feeling okay today or whether they're not feeling okay today and my son is nearly 18 so obviously his communication skills have slightly left him <laughs> at the moment
0: is there a, uh, yeah yeah uh. there's a, a little bit of that
1: <laughs> but what i've always done is we will either go for a walk or go for a drive and I've had my most intimate conversations with all of my kids while driving or walking it really? used to be with a dog the dog died last year sadly while I was doing SAS so not only I oh. came home and oh my gosh and I'm only just about well enough getting over that to get a new dog so watch his face we're getting a new dog uh, um, I'll be round. yeah <laughs> and um so it's while we're driving and you know I think all humans, but especially children, respond really well if you don't sit them down and go, right, we're going to talk about your mental health mm. or, I don't know, you're a teenager now and have you thought about the birds and the bees? You know, this sort of <laughs> thing. You have it in a sideways conversation. And we've had some of our most intense and intimate and revealing conversations while on motorways and that sort of thing. There's a slight Because you're not looking at each there? other. Yeah. yeah, you're not looking at each other. So, what, what you know, what I'll say to Nick is I think I'm due a sideways conversation.
0: <laughs> 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 and how have you, because obviously, talking of hormones, you have none now.
1: Yeah, well, I've got some, but I've had to buy them in.
0: <laughs> oh, you put them back in. how so it happens. Yeah, I've
1: HRT now.
0: Oh.
1: Yeah, which obviously, because... You know, it would be the equivalent if, I don't know, if you had your thyroid removed, you have to have medication mm. to replace that. And and that's exactly how I how I see it. So, yes, I'm on, I'm on HRT now, which has made a huge difference in terms of my mental health as much as my physical health. Because obviously you have mm. lots of physical symptoms with the menopause, but the mental ones are the ones that people don't necessarily talk about. People joke about, you know night sweats and hot flushes and, and all that sort of stuff. And it's actually not hilarious. Mm. It's it's debilitating and I felt embarrassing.
0: My mum had a hysterectomy when I was younger and I noticed a really big difference in her after that because she's struggled with depression and stuff and I really felt like a lot of it started mm. then. So I always think it must be a massive It's thing. huge. Mm.
1: And I think as well, people are quite cavalier about it. It's it's not a knee operation. You're not fixing your elbow. You're having your engine removed mm. and expected just to carry on as normal, and it doesn't work that way. People, again, obviously there's a lot of controversy about HRT mm. and whether it's safe or not safe, and I kind of just think... Give women the information that they need and fact-based information, not opinion-based information, but fact-based information because every woman is different, their needs are different, whether they have breast cancer in their family or or what have you. Go to, you know what I always recommend because I get lots of women stopping me in the street, go to the government website. Literally, you can click in menopause. There are nice guidelines there as in... the thinking for clinical excellence. Um, Not as in, aren't they lovely? Download them, print them out, and take them to your GP. And that will absolutely categorically explain what you can ask for. There's also a brilliant website called uh, The Menopause Doctor, Dr Louise Newsome. I highly recommend her as well because she's now working with the government to make sure that women get the information that they need. So whether or not you choose to go down the HRT route should be based on facts relating directly to you Mm. not to hysteria that is in newspapers because that's the best way to make any kind of informed decision Mm. so go to someone who knows and then if you choose to go down that route you can have it tailored to you what I would say is you don't get any prizes for trying to man up and um, you know people say I want to do it naturally great uh, you know, and I, obviously there are lots of supplements that you can take. Make sure that you're getting lots of magnesium and uh, omega-3s and eating all your oily fish and your green leafy vegetables and take um, herbal and mineral supplements and that sort of thing. But there is more help out there than you realize. Sometimes you you might have to inform yourself mm. about what is actually added. I
0: suppose it's a bit like antidepressants though is it that everyone 100%. has such an opinion on whether you should be on them shouldn't be on them and yeah you hear all these people well I ate greens for the rest of my life oh. so I came off them and I'm fixed or you know vice versa and I always think every I always say to everyone everyone's different yeah you all have different things. You've been on them and now you're not on them and they helped you at the time. And yeah. I just think, did you get any comments like that? when you I didn't tell there? anyone. You didn't tell I anyone? I didn't tell
1: anyone until I came off them. Uh,
0: Why that, do you think that That I was, was
1: on them. Because exactly what you just said. Mm. And also it was very different back then. I was worried that I'd lose my job because obviously I work on a show where everyone's very open, but would people really trust an anchor who's on antidepressants?
0: Hmm.
1: They might not. Clearly, I was fully capable of doing my job at the time because no one noticed. But I said so afterwards, mm. you know. And and what's wonderful is obviously I still have my bumps in the road now, but I am so much better. And again, since having counselling and everything else, I'm much more open about it. And I'll say I'm having a wobbly day today. I'm totally fine and across everything with work. But I just want to let you know, I'm feeling a little bit wobbly. Mm. But, you know, d- never doubt me when I'm Doing my job because actually, my job something clicks into my brain and I love it yeah. and it's amazing. But just you know, it's amazing. I might be it? a bit quiet today behind the scenes, and yeah. it's I'm not, it's nothing anybody's done. I'm just feeling a bit like this today.
0: It's mad how you can feel like that and then just go on and do a job and do it properly. Like, if I'm feeling rubbish, the best thing for me is to work
1: 100%. Work is my savior mm. because it gives me a purpose to. You know, if I don't know if anybody listening uh, listens to Tony Robbins, but Tony Robbins, he's obviously a—he's like a lifestyle guru and mm. he, uh, an amazing life coach and all this. And he talks about changing your state. And it's, you know, if you're feeling a certain way, the most powerful thing that you can do is change your state. And for me, obviously, if I'm not physically going to work that day, go for a walk, do something that changes the state that you're in. And even doing something as simple as that, like You know, this morning I was getting in a tailspin about some random thing that had happened and I realised what I was doing and I had a bit of time this morning, so I took myself off. The kids had gone to school, so the house was empty and put some music on and I love yoga. So I did a proper hour of music, on my own, because um, I'm not great at it, but I love it. <laughs> you know, yoga to music and totally lost my, you know, train of thought. I was purely thinking about the moves that I was doing. And an hour later, I'd forgotten what it was that I was getting in a tizz about. And that's changing your state. Mm. So that's what work does as well. You get up, you have to get yourself dressed and ready. For me, it's reading the papers, being across the news, making notes, making sure... And you don't have time to think about anything else while you're thinking about that. So it's it really work works for me. Mm. Works good.
0: Would that be your biggest tip then to anyone that suffers of anxiety or anything like that? Is change your state.
1: And you know I do talks and things for well anyone will have me to be honest, but you know (laughs) women's groups and you know and this sort of thing. And I'm a, a great advocate for. Meditation and changing your state in whatever form that might be. For me, meditation hugely works. I've been doing it for years now, but I really do find that the moment that my mental health dips is when I've thought, oh, I'm fine now, and then I mm. stop doing everything that's been working. And then it's it's like playing Flappy Birds. You just have to keep tapping, keep tapping, <laughs> yeah. otherwise you faceplant. And for me, once I get back into the meditation, and, and I love yoga, it, I've also... I did a run earlier this year with Bryony Gordon. I'd never run before. Oh, the before. one, the one in my pants. pants. Yeah, yeah, that one. And I'd never run before. And sadly, I haven't done it since, but I, I will try and get back into it again. But I really enjoyed that because I started it. I mean, I was never very fast or anything, but just kind of plodding along and being on my own and feeling my body getting a bit stronger and a bit better at something and knowing that because I had a purpose, I was doing it for a charity run, I could say, sorry, I, I can't do that right now because I need to go for my, my training run. Mm. And then because you had a purpose, everyone at home would be like, oh, no, that's all right, we'll 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 do it, Mum, it's fine. You were changing your state and you came back and you, your heart's pounding a little bit and you're sweaty and you have a shower and you feel great. And like I say, you, you can't remember what it was you were bothered about. But what I would say is, you know, walk around the block, take the dog for a walk. Sometimes I'll just walk to the corner shop and go and get the papers. And even by the time I've done that, I can't remember the the thing I was bothered about doesn't seem that Mm. big a deal. And that's changing your state.
0: Okay, change your state so
1: that you're not in such a state.
0: (laughs) Tagline. There you go. I'll let you own it. (laughs) Well, thanks for coming on and being so honest. I feel like it's something you do every. Mainly every morning, and we get to see, it, but it's nice for it to just be about you and not oh. about everybody else. I'm not fighting to get a word in. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Open Mind the podcast is sponsored by very.co.uk.